Welcome to Gold Digging with Stephen Webster, where we dig for golden nuggets from friends and family and people we are professionally connected with. And um, my guest today is astrologer, spiritual teacher and uh, gemologist, Shelley von Strunkel. So welcome, Shelley. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm <laughs> delighted to be talking to you. And I, I'm going to have to... Uh, we're going to have to hold up our hands here because we did this once before and uh, it was a few weeks ago and at the time you said that with Mercury in retrograde it was possibly not the best time to be doing this, this uh, podcast and we just dismissed it a bit and what happens? The whole of the tape got corrupted the first time it's ever happened. So I think there's got to be something in that. And uh, we can't say you didn't warn us. So we're <laughs> you know, back a, again. It's the, and, well, I'm delighted because, hey, I could talk to you regularly. But, I mean, there's a weird thing about these predictions, and, I mean, we'll talk more about it, but there, there's this kind of fine line of, oh, my, oh, well, Mercury's retrograde, I shouldn't do anything. And it's like, no, actually, much of the world goes on when Mercury is retrograde. And there are some astrologers who say, oh, no, don't fly. Oh, no, don't sign a contract. And, actually, after that, I did fly to above the Arctic Circle in Norway, join a ship, take a cruise, get off and get home again, all in one piece, while Mercury is retrograde. So it's only sometimes, however, I think it's a kind of thing, if it's something that you need to have last, and I'll get to this in a second, then you pay attention to it. But also, and this is my attitude with astrology in general, because there's a tendency for people to say, oh, this is what's predicted, it is what will happen. Maybe some part of our destiny, our collective destiny, wanted for us to meet again, to chat again. Okay. And also we're doing it in a different setting because we were in your delicious office and study in the middle of town. And now you're in my flat in Darkest King's Cross, which is full of all sorts of magical which objects. Which is equally delicious. It's, it, I think my daughter and I were talking on the way over and we, we thought, it's going to be eclectic. It's going to be, and what... It is eclectic. <laughs> it's amazing. Yes. So it's a pleasure to meet for the second time on the same subject of gold digging. When we met before also, you had, um, I discussed it was my birthday coming up. It's my 60th birthday week as we speak. And I've had lots of celebration. But you were going to share a sort of a mini chart. You know, you said you don't like to do a full chart for someone because that's personal, but maybe just a, a highlight or something. Is that <laughs> what you feel like? Um, well, I think we could probably manage that. Although it is true, he's getting a birthday gift of his proper chart. Yes. Oh, yeah, okay. well, that's, that's a you know, bit, of, bit of good karma on your part because we had to meet again anyway. So, I, as they say, astrologically, I got your number. Uh, <laughs> but, and, okay, I'm going to talk about one interesting phenomenon in, in your chart and what's going on as well. You are, of course, a Leo. And Leo is a sign of expression. It's a fire sign. Pretty short attention span, needs to do new things, but a natural, incredible warmth and theatricality and great joy in life. But also what we call astrologically a fixed sign, the sign in the middle of each season. The fixed signs are Taurus, Leo, Scorpio, and Aquarius. 
And they like things done the way like they like things done, and preferably the same way again next time too. Thank you very much, because I've decided this is what I want. <laughs> A creature of habit is that what it is? One might say that, you know. And it is actually incredibly terrible when the the jeans that you've been wearing for 10 years stop being made and there is a command to go buy them all so you don't have to change a plus and occasionally a problem and so it's a big lesson for leos to catch that place where they are a teeny bit stuck if not demanding or imperious on the other hand that capacity to focus is what can turn an idea into a business and into a vision and one of the things i've admired in the way you work and are working now is how the creative side of leo has taken jewelry making the way it was 20 years ago 15 years ago to something new and that's a creative side so that's what you find and there are many, many successful creative Leos. It's, it's a sign that is never knowingly low profile. Okay, well, thank you very much. I'd say a lot of that is 100% true. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely like things to remain the same in some way. And yet, weirdly, I live a life that's got almost no routine to it. Because I travel all the time through my work. Um, Oh, that's in fact, you saying that reminds me of the other part I said I was going to put in. So when you were born, the sun in your chart was next to the planet Uranus. Now Uranus is the first new planet discovered in history. I mean, we had the same bunch, Sun, Moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, from, for all of time immemorial. And then in 1781, in his garden in Bath, a guy called William Herschel, who was, a, a, can you believe, as you were in those days, a composer and an astronomer, <laughs> with his expertly made but homemade telescope, saw something in the heavens. And he said, he got an astronomer pal over and said, look, I've discovered a comet. And he said, um, hey, guy, it doesn't have a tail. It's not a comet. You discovered a planet. And it, again, was the first planet to be discovered in modern times, since we've discovered Neptune in um, 1846 and Pluto in 1930, but it was the first one. So I call Uranus the Uber of planets. <laughs> it is the disruptor. When you were born, the sun was next to the planet Uranus. I rest my case. <laughs> okay, excellent. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, I appreciate that. I'm looking forward to my big chart. Well, that one's bang on. So let's, let's turn our attention and your powers towards um, gemstones, something that I know you're extremely passionate and knowledgeable about, um, and that's where it crosses. Our, yeah. our, our worlds cross, I suppose. That, uh, and, and I think that I've, I learned from you the fact that it was only through the dawn, if you like, of marketing that we ended up with these the star signs and um, birthstones that we, we associated with star signs. Well, yes and that, no. I mean, they, they've been used all through history for their powers because um, gemstones, healers, have always recognized gemstones as holding power. However, the um, relationships between them, the, the traditional alignment has been changed by marketing, and that right. was by the... Um, in America in 1912, the American Gemological Society kind of rewrote the, the whole script. And so there's been confusion about it. In Asia, 
where the American Gemological Society doesn't seem to have as much reach. <laughs> they have kept the traditional stones. So there's two sets. So people are understandably quite confused. So for instance, in this, the sign Cancer is ruled by the moon. We, in astrology, we speak of each sign as having a particular ruler. Mars, the fiery Mars, um, fiery Aries is ruled by Mars. Taurus, lovely Taurus, is ruled by most of the, well, we've got like a piece of jade here, the lovely soft stones. When you get to Cancer, which is ruled by the moon, the obvious stone associated with it would be pearl or any of the milky stones, so moonstone. Moonstone, yeah. Okay, with this new set, it got ruby. Right. It's sort of like, what are you guys smoking? Ah. <laughs> so it, it, it really was... It annoys me as someone who is not just an astrologer, but someone who is a spiritual teacher and honors ancient spiritual practices, that someone's just elbowed in and says, no, not this, and this whole thing doesn't matter anymore. But actually, there's kind of this lineage of tradition of using stones, not just for your birthstone, because, I mean, maybe if you are a lot of a particular sign, you don't need more of that stone. You don't need more of that energy. Actually, you need some of the rest. Or there are times in a person's life where it's worth wearing a different stone with its vibration. So it's not that you necessarily need to wear more of your stone, although it's nice to have well, a piece I, I, of Well, actually, that, that point that you said, this idea of, of a collective, of, of, you know, balancing, if yes. you like, rather than more of the same thing. I mean, of course, that makes complete sense. And, and instantly, it made me want to think differently about... My it next creative. you know conversation that I would have, which I will have, I'm a jeweler with someone who says, "Can we do my birthstone?" Yeah, it's like maybe <laughs> it, you don't need that. But there's another fascinating tale, and I actually experienced this in India because there they, I mean, it is still taken quite seriously. And an astrologer there will prescribe a particular stone to be worn for a period. And I was at a counter buying something, and there was a guy wearing a, a, a really beat up looking piece of metal. And I, I mean, it was either it was sort of like, you know, those, those rings that are nails gone wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, I said, what is this? And, and he said, well, it's actually, it's a nail from um, a railroad tie. And my astrologer told me that I'm having a very difficult period with Shani, which is Sanskrit for Saturn, the toughest planet of them all. And he said, so if I wear a piece of metal that has been run over and beaten up by a locomotive again and again and again, it will help protect me from that energy. And I thought, oh, what a fascinating concept. Mm. So he was wearing that to protect himself from the heaviness of that energy. Now, see, it's a completely different kind of take on it. And it is actually the first time I've ever of a so nail it, from a railroad tie no, used it's as I've seen some beaten up old nails that are sold for a lot of money, but anyway. <laughs> but um, is that something that he, wore, he wears for a period? Yeah. Because he was having problems with, with his with, planet? With, okay. yeah, and, and Saturn moves fairly slowly. Saturn remains in a sign for about two and a half years. So it would have been there in, in his case because the Indians see it coming. They see it coming in the way, so it's a seven-year period, but it's not his whole life. Okay, so talking about periods, you know, I'm 60 years old and I think of, um, was it the musical Hair that had the dawning of the age of Aquarius? <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, that must have gone by now. That was probably <laughs> exactly. in the late 60s. And, um, but of course, it's only just beginning. 
Yeah. Because it's something that's like a thousand years or so, which is a period, but... Two thousand Two thousand years. Yeah. So we'll only ever see a part of something like that. Well, it all depends on, on how you feel about the idea of reincarnation. Well, okay. <laughs> we don't need to get to that one yet. But I, I think the um, this idea of, of uh, these big shifts and, and you know, um, the idea of it impacting everything. And right now, this we can't be in a more disruptive time, can we, than where we're at, which I, apparently is to do with this shift. New era. It's, it's like new we're era. getting more and more into it. Yeah. And yeah. it is, it's sort of like a season changing, you know, like winter coming, you know, and the day is getting shorter and, and the weather gradually getting colder. And there's no particular, I mean, there is a day, you can say it began. I mean, um, astronomically, there's a moment that the seasons change. But if you're living and you see that the weather changes gradually, well, that's the case with this. And although, kind of technically speaking, it began in the year 2000, the eras are about 2000 years long. It isn't like someone flicks a switch and says we're all thinking differently. And in many ways, you could say it began as early as 1750, because between 1750 and 1800, we went from one of the fundamental characteristics of the previous age, which was a hierarchy, a rigid hierarchy, in which everyone had a position, a hierarchical position, and the person on top, in several senses of the word, was male. And women only, I mean, women lost their name when they got married. And very, very few women leaders during that period. And as it began to change, that hierarchy and gender roles have changed. And we saw the beginning of it between 1750 and 1800, where a couple of countries went, well, I don't know about this king thing, you know? I mean, like, let's have a revolution. And they did. And then about 1900 is the beginning, really, of women taking their rights, which, of course, they're still fighting for. But... The, I mean, the concept before then, and it's interesting to note that at that time, still many women went, oh, I'm not sure I want to vote. We don't do that kind of thing. Well, so it's a shift. So what's happening now is we're seeing the shift from that rigid hierarchy in every way, in culture, in business, in families, to a flattening of the pyramid and an equalizing, and the Aquarian age is about that. It is about things being equal. But it takes a week or two for us to understand that. And that's what's going on now. So, of course, many countries have embraced that in different ways. One of the most interesting things to me about the, the kind of dawning of the age of Aquarius and the, the disappearance of that hierarchy is the swiftness with which the old tradition in this country of someone sitting in the House of Lords just because they were the son of, no, son of, son of, the son of, the son of, the son of someone who the king liked, it's like, it took about eight years for them to get rid of it. But then yeah. it was like, why are we doing this? <laughs> well, because once it starts, you, I think you, you very quickly look back and think, God, that was ridiculous. Yeah. And yet, it's around and for, so for a century. And so, setting by setting yeah. by setting, we're watching it change. Yeah. And so this is why it's very interesting what you're doing, because the so-called luxury industries are having to redefine themselves too. Because it's not that you want jewelry or whatever it is, clothing, furniture, that looks like your grandfather anymore. But what is luxury? And it's a fascinating discussion. And because my background is in retailing and in the luxury end of retailing, I'm enjoying watching it happen. It also makes me kind of glad I'm not running a business. But it's fascinating. Well, I, I've, um, I'm, I feel through my impatience as a Leo that whenever <laughs> something comes along, 
that's, that's let's say it's disruptive or it's, it's just going to start affecting things you know in a way that has not had impact before I find it interesting so I kind of embrace it it's just the way I am I can't not do it and I, I think that you know these things have um, there's lots of things that have happened in in my lifetime in jewelry when I first entered the jewelry business for a woman to go into a jewelry shop and buy her own jewelry was probably one of the saddest things you could ever think of. You, you know what I mean? It was it was, just was not done. These are the places where men went when they chose to buy jewellery for women of what they chose. And and I've seen that shift that you know from from conversation to the reality. Yes, it's true. And, and you, you think how cool is yes. that? Because now I'm dealing with the wearer. I'm not dealing with the person in between. Mm. You're dealing with the person who's going to be enjoying and wearing this. And, and, and now, of course, it feels, again, ridiculous to think that women didn't, you know, didn't go into a jewellery shop. They probably would have been whispers. But it's that, and it's, um, that, it's that swift too, isn't it? Yeah, because well, re- relatively swift. It feels to me like it's been a while. But, but in the times that we're talking about now, these things, then, of course, it's a moment. Mm. Yeah. I'm looking here, which is great for podcasting, but a collection of your rocks, <laughs> so to speak, which we'll look at in a minute. But I think they're, they're probably all perfect examples of something that you would have found a challenge to sell to a man, to give to a woman as a, as a gift, um, because they, no, nothing falls into these sort of diamonds, emeralds, rubies, Back sapphires. Back to the hierarchical the things hierarchical, with stones, yeah. 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 Yes. And, and that, to me is super exciting. You know, I, I think for 20, 30 years I've been sort of frequenting the greatest show on earth for, for the, let's say, the sort of off-piste gems in Tucson, Arizona, which was a hippie crystal show uh, 30 or 40 years ago, and now it's considered all the big luxury brands go. They were never there before. They're sort of scooping up all these things that we love all, all the magical all stones the magical that stuff. we, yeah, we weirdos love. Picking up yeah. the legends. and Look, you know, I, I shouldn't be selfish about it, but I think there's something about me when I see a big group, no names mentioned, I think, what are you guys doing here? <laughs> <laughs> this used to be more of our, you know, our playground, you know. But, but anyway, it doesn't matter. You can't keep anything a secret anymore. But we should talk a little bit about what we got <laughs> out on the table and in, and in your clear plastic there. I know it's wonderful because it is it's exactly that because it's fun because you can actually see it and um, I, because I speak about this stuff uh, I, I do workshops talking about energy talking about meditation talking about healing and um, talking about the energy that stones hold because this is one of the things people forget that stones um, I'm picking up a and you immediately remember the name of this is picking up a what is this and Mossagate thank you very much my translator sitting here <laughs> um, and these are crystalline structures and they talk about crystals and crystals are crystalline structures but so are gemstones so your basic diamond is the same emerald is the same they're crystalline structures and they hold energy and that's like and we forget this the silicon chips in a computer in your iPad in our phones hold energy and the reason they work the reason they remember something is you do two things you apply energy in this case you charge the battery and then you give it something to do you give it memory which is 
of course, what we do with all of these. In the case of stones, they have power because, again, they can be charged and they can hold energy. And if the energy is wonderful, you know, if you inherit your grandma's gems, you love wearing them and they feel that and you feel grandma. But it's also one of the reasons why people who understand this principle, particularly in Asia, will generally not buy estate jewelry because yeah, I don't know no. what kind of energy it's carrying. It's very funny, isn't it? That it's, but on the it, other end of it, with crystals, and in fact, even with gemstones, you can program them. You can clear them. So all those estate jewelry things that people aren't buying, you can buy them and clear them. You exercise it. There was, that's the extreme thing. You know, that kind of whoa thing. Um, actually, sunlight will do the trick. Oh, Running right. water. Exposure to, okay, elements, you yeah. can clear it. Oh, okay. You can clear it that way, That's running water. Or, in fact, someone's energy can clear it. And often when I'm speaking, I'll do that. I will secretly program one stone negatively and one stone positively and then ask someone to hold it and tell me what they feel. And, and um, I'll then te muscle test their strength, and the one with the negative stone will be weaker. It actually has an impact on you. So this thing about crystals is important, but there's also a tendency, and you hear this all the time, people will say, oh, it's rose quartz, it means I will fall in love. No, it's rose quartz, it's a stone. Shh. It might do. <laughs> it's a stone. As far as I know, it hasn't got its, its own website who's sending you love. However, the characteristic of each stone is such that it does have its own vibration. You can pick up a stone and feel its vibration. Now, when you buy one someplace, it's going to have the vibration of the person who well harvested it, because usually it's people kind of picking them out of stone. And if they had a bad day, then you're going to get their bad day. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so it's a good on, idea to clear on the um, well, I suppose let's talk a bit about the idea of um, um, protection. Um, like, for example, an amethyst. Mm -hmm. Now, an amethyst is very much about protection, protection from lots of demons, including the demons of drink, I believe. And, um, I, you know, I've always got one in my purse. No, but um, where does that come from? What's the roots of those? Again, these traditions go way, way back. And to a certain extent, they are actually connected with the signs of the zodiac and their nature. So that, uh, for instance, if we start with Mars, which is a forthright sign associate Mars, um, Aries, which is uh, associated with Mars, the red planet. And it's interesting, um, I was listening to the Olympics one year, and someone had just won, and obviously the, the producer had prepared patter for them, and I think they expected that person to win, who was an Aries. And the reporter said, there's six people who are Aries born on this day who have won this same race. Wow. So, drive? competition. <laughs> so each planet sign combination has its own nature. And I've got some Aries friends who are, it's like, you know, you say, what have you done lately? And then you can sit back for 20 minutes because, of course, they've gone and conquered the world and bought and sold a company, you know, like that. Um, so each sign planet combination holds its own energy. And when you get to Taurus, which is lovely and sensual, then the Stones associated with that, which are most of the jades, some paler emeralds, are more pacific. So there's a tradition 
that goes way, way, way back, which means that, as with the nail, uh, the, an astronomer, or in the old days, it would actually be a doctor who would recommend that someone wear a particular stone for healing. But also, in this still exists in Asia, it's not just for healing, it's also if you want to make something happen. And for that, a um, sapphire worn on the index finger of a certain size, of a certain substantial size, is the one a lady wants to get if she's looking for a man. Right. Right. And that might lead to a wedding ring <laughs> uh, worn on a, on, on a specific finger. Yes, which is so associated with the So one's for looking and the other one, exactly, yeah. it's connected to your heart. Yeah. That's why your ring finger is your ring finger. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and again, that's one of the few traditions we haven't had dislodged. So it's, and see, this is why it's so interesting to navigate amongst these. But the other part of it is, as we as individuals are, individuals are increasingly in charge of our lives, making choices about our health, about our well-being, occasionally making intelligent choices about who we partner with, um, then we do need occasional remedies. And it can be in the form of a stone and what you would wear. We've kind of lost track of that, which is a pity. But we are, it's funny, though, because, yes, all logic sometimes says, look, that's nonsense. This is reality. This is a fact. This is science. But because we're humans, and, you know, it's amazing how many people wear something, not, not just their wedding ring that says, like, I'm married, but, the, you know, these kind of, um, their charms, their, their things in life that you, if they haven't got it, well, you, I'd expect you to have a bunch. <laughs> but but um, everybody, nearly everybody has something that they, that they wear, you know, in a jewellery way, I mean. Not mm. their socks, but something that, that sort of says that you know, I, I'm really not comfortable if I leave the house without this. You know, and I mean, I, I've got this gold chain that is, that's my one of those. You know, it's like, I'm always looking for it. And if mm. I can't find it, I'm not ready to leave the house. Now, I don't know why I believe in it. And it's not like put it on show. I kind of play with it, but maybe that's something. But... And, and actually, this, this, we're going through, and it's probably something to do with Aquarius, the age of, but that's becoming more and more and more important to people again, that what they wear in a jewellery way means something to them. The, the significance of the symbolism. It's something, yeah. 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 And, and Which is lovely, too. It's so nice, because there, there was a phase there where, particularly when you like, got into the size of the diamond thing, yeah. <laughs> you know that it was just about that, which is kind of a pity. Because there is so much more to it, and because I've always known about that as well, you know. Well, look at look at the big diamond. It's like, so it's bigger than some, and you know. I mean, I have been in rooms with people wearing diamonds that you know you think they kind of need a crane to pick them up. I mean, it's just extraordinary. But in another way, it's like so. so it what? doesn't not the bigger the crane, the better the husband. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I I it drove me crazy that the. Again, it was through marketing, but it was also through a period. It was a period where that exactly meant that. If you're getting engaged, what size diamond is it? Not what's he like, what's this, what does he do, or anything. It's just what size diamond is it? That is the way of you judged. So, so you could only really, if you were in New York, marry a bloke from Wall Street, you know, because no one else could afford the six carat, whatever it was. Yeah, because he, he gives good diamond. But he gives good diamond. <laughs> 
But I, we've moved on from that. It's amazing. And isn't that, that cool? Have. Isn't that nice? I mean, yeah, isn't it wonderful that we're now in an era when the, the, the materials make a difference? And we're talking a lot about the stones, but also you use a lot of different materials in the making of the rings, too. And I'm, by the way, looking at my... Looking my at yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what that it's is? It's my amethyst. But this is, again, kind of crossing cultures. I'm going to put my glasses yeah, on. Yeah, you kind of need one. to. I've got a bit of carved detail on it. Well, oh, you see, it's the, um, what's he called? The elephant? Is that it? is. That uh, is the, that elephant guy. Well, Ganesh. Yeah, that's right. Ganesh, yeah. That's super cool. I love that. Isn't it lovely? I love carved gems anyway. Yeah. Okay, well, just while we're, we've still got these gems out, let's just talk about this this one here, which, um, if I was to describe it, it looks a bit like a cathedral. Um, it's black, it's quite asymmetric, but it's definitely got the crystal structure that it grew with, and it's a black tourmaline, and it's dense. You cannot see through this thing, so I want you to tell me about that one. Well, this is a fascinating piece, and it's one I use a lot when I speak, because, again, most people say, as I was mentioning earlier, like, for instance, with rose quartz, you know, it will bring you love. No, it's just a rock. Not until you program it will it bring you luck or love. Black tourmaline, in particular, is one of the few that is an heliolectric. Yeah. It's pezzolectric. Pezio Do you know what I mean? Uh, it's no. it's a <laughs> it's, it holds a charge. I don't it know. holds a charge exactly. Right, yes, okay. and, and I mean everyone is now going and looking it up as they're listening to this. Piezoelectric, not quite right, but almost anyway. It's one of the few stones that not only holds a charge, but once it's charged, emits energy passively, and it also is a stone that is said to there, therefore be able to disrupt the tendency of the energy of computers to compromise our own energy field. And so you're actually meant to keep one by you. So when you're if working. you're flying and they say, would you per turn your your personal device onto flight mode, including your black tourmaline? <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. It's like, I want, you to, be, it. I want you to be quiet now. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's a funny, actually, because it's, uh, I mean, that is all amazing. I learned from you, those those qualities of it. But it's also a material that I use a lot that um, wouldn't be black. We do use some black tourmaline, but it is, it is black and it's very dense. So you're going to use it when you need that, you know, color palette. But in its other forms, which is one of the most wonderful things about tourmaline, it can be, it can be from some of the most expensive stones you can get um, to, you know, it, it's sort of like some forms of neon neon blues to like electric colors or to these beautiful um reds yeah. and blue indicolites and you know incredible spectrum of color and values but um it's one of my favorites a lot of what you do is aquarian age in the sense that it's a very individual expression so we're using similar materials yeah we do, and we've talked a bit about quartzes here, and, and my, I, you know, if, I, if anything put Stephen Webster on the map, it was my use of quartz. So you're not looking at something and saying, well, this is high value. Mm. You know, it was something that looked extraordinary. Um, now, I'd worked it in a way that was, you know, exquisitely worked, 
but just by the nature of, of the material, the fact that I'd combine, let's say, you know, you've got their quartz and coral. I sometimes we do quartz and coral, sometimes quartz and turquoise, silver obsidian off. You know, I mean, I remember once at Neiman Marcus, they said to me, boy, you are the only guy who can charge $5,000 for a ring that's made out of a pebble. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that wasn't quite the full story. You know, I mean, the, the fact was he was a really great ring. Just because it was made out of a silver obsidian, he thought that was Barak and Pebble. It was left field material, that's what it was. Yeah. Creative. Creative, yeah. And and like I say, I think that we're which you just hit on then, you know, part of this this Aquarian age is this fact, this sort of celebration, if you like, of of the imperfection. And I think I mean, part of it also is wearing casual jewellery. I mean it used to be it was something you wore at certain things, but now people will wear um, both not so precious in the sense of not expensive, but also expensive jewelry at any old time. So you put on your jeans and you put on your expensive piece of jewelry because you bought it to wear at any time. Yeah, it's very important. I was writing a piece yesterday or the day before about the demands upon jewelry now. And as, as jewelers, you know, obviously we, we've got to be aware of the way that people are wearing things. And almost the number one thing now from my let's say my heavy jewelry buyers the repeat offenders you know the ones who have have, have been through it all all the all the sort of jewelry styles right now it's about i need to be able to wear it with everything so that instantly you're not really talking about tiaras you know you're you're looking at something that is considered to be more more um casual usually but it's also about the fact that it's got real kind of flexibility. You could be wearing it to, with your jeans, with lunch, for dinner. It doesn't matter. People don't want to feel that, I, oh, that's for my evening this. This is for that. It's, it's got to kind of do it all. And, and I think that's where it allows in the breakdown, if you like, of this rigid material that was considered to be fine jewellery. And if it wasn't in there, then it wasn't fine jewellery. And I think now that's all becoming fine jewellery because it's it's seen to be something that, you know, it's, it's certainly not as ostentatious, but it's just something that feels that you've got more more places you can wear it. Mm, and, and it's fun because I can imagine for you, the greater latitude you have. I just have to slightly pick you up on one thing. It has to do with the new sign you've adopted. Right. Yes, because you've Very, done quite controversial. You've done, <laughs> you've done these lovely little charms of each sign, and then being so excited about it. <laughs> well, I okay. So I'm going to fill in a bit, and then you can carry on because uh, you know more than we do. But for some years, we've done our astro balls, which have been a lot of fun, and, and they're um, gorgeous. And and you know, for I want to say for several years. It could even been up to 10 years, the 12 most popular pieces of jewellery we made were the zodiac signs, these astro balls. And I guess they were just done in a Stephen Webster way because everybody will have their version. And, and ours looked like fun. They were quite big, sort of size of some of these these rocks we're looking at on the table. And, and um, so it's very obvious what you were wearing. And um, like I said, they we created a legend. We did all this and, and we thought it was time to... Um, to look at them again um, with, a, with a different perspective. Times have changed. 20 years ago, since we did the first ones, we'll read, look at them, and now we've done them as a much smaller. 
and then we came across this 13th site. We thought, wow, okay, we gotta be the only jewelers that are offering 13 signs. So we got Ophigus. All the 12 traditional zodiacs are white pearl and yellow gold, and this one's a black pearl. So we're sort of sitting there. It's for that one person who says, I'm not so sure I like my star sign. And you go, there you go. There's this one that you can have. And uh, that's the 30 sign. You can pick up from there because (laughs) I think you know more than we do. (laughs) I think it was very inspiring of you. (laughs) And we just, before we started, we just took a stroll through the astrological map and discovered that Ophicus is... Um, he is a constellation, as are all of the signs. Many people don't realize that the signs are actual constellations in the sky you can look at. But they're not the only ones, because, of course, like there's the, the Big Dipper, the Great Bear, and the Small Bear, and the Southern Cross. There's all sorts of constellations that are not star signs. And Ophicus is one. Although I have to say, because we looked at the chart, and he is what I would call a pushy guy, because... He stuck his foot right on top of Scorpio, as if it's like, can I come to the party? It's like, no, you're late. Too late. <laughs> <laughs> but what I suggest, because you're doing these so wonderfully, is to that you do a bunch of other ones because there are many other constellations in the sky. Uh, yeah, well, look, I think it, it suited us because he's the serpent carrier, the snake carrier, this one little sort of upstart, whatever he said, with his big toe sitting there with the rest of the Zodiacs. But um, I think the fact that it was a friend of yours that discovered it, we had no idea when we met you. We just knew that NASA or someone from there had said, there's this 13th star. We, we know more now. It's true. No, actually, it wasn't NASA. It was a girlfriend of mine <laughs> who is, it's the Forbidden Friendship. She's an astronomer. She's an actual astronomer. And she said something about it. And I said to her later, what were you smoking, woman? And she said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I had no idea all of this would so happen. esophagus. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Thank you so much, Shelley. It was great. I, in some ways, I'm really grateful for that retrograde in Mercury because I've enjoyed this as much, if not more, as the first time, <laughs> as they say. So uh, I want to thank you for being a, a great-spirited gold digger. <laughs> Truly my pleasure. <laughs> thank you very much.